0: Hi everybody welcome to exiles and protectors um, I'm Cassie and I'm Denise and today we are going to talk about um, again an exile and a protector that we share because apparently we're the same person <laughs> <laughs> born it appears that way, born you know 400 miles apart <laughs> lived very much the same life um, so the Exile, we're going to talk about today, we call the abandoned. Um, in my life, this, uh, okay, so so I'm straight, and Denise is bisexual. And uh, so we both have had, uh, and Denise currently has, relationships with men. So um, the men in our lives were um, in and out. So in my case, my dad was uh, a functioning alcoholic, and so he would get off work. And he would just go to a bar Um, and he wouldn't come home until 9, 10 p.m. at night. And this was most nights. Um, My my brother, um, who was nine years older than I am, uh, was kind of out of the house by the time he was a teenager, spending most of his time at friends places and such. And so by the time I was around four, I didn't see a lot of my brother either. And if you listen to some previous podcasts, you know that I also had an older brother who, um, who was killed in a hunting accident. So, um, I got the message kind of early on in life that men aren't going to be around. Um, and this did leave me with abandonment issues. Um, that we'll talk about how that uh, manifested in in our protectors. So, Denise, do you want to talk a little bit about how uh, the men in your life behaved?
1: Yeah. So in, in episode four, um, I talked a lot about, uh, how my dad was very physically abusive, um, throughout my whole childhood. Uh, but he also, um, was not around as much as, um, you know, you would expect a a father of, of three young kids to be. Um, he did work long hours. Um, he usually worked 12 hours a day, six days a week. Um, and you know, he would come home in the evenings and, you know, we only saw him maybe a couple of hours each day. And so I kind of felt like I didn't really have, um, a strong father presence, um, except in a negative way. Um, so I didn't, I didn't feel like I could rely on him. And actually he was just somebody that I feared most of the time. And then my brother, uh, I have a sister and a brother, my brother uh, committed suicide uh, when he was a teenager. And so that, you know, relationship also, um, you know, got cut off abruptly. So I felt
0: abandoned by both my father and my brother. Right, and, and as did I as well. Um, and for me, I obviously, neither of us could have processed how this was going to affect us. Um, and I think that a lot of these issues don't really hit anybody until you go through puberty and you start developing romantic relationships with uh, with others. Um, I've read a lot of self help books, and you know I've I've seen that in books mm-hmm. that this is where these these issues tend to begin manifesting. Um, and so the protector that uh, I developed, I nicknamed the Stage Five Clinger. <laughs> And actually, yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a very good descriptive. <laughs> and I, I have a similar protector. Right. Now you might think, how is she protecting you? Well, she was looking out for that abandoned girl in me. So she was really trying to make sure that this girl was not going to be abandoned again. And her main technique was to cling like crazy to uh, you know, any potential boyfriend who came into my life. And this started when I first began dating as a teenager. And um, it continued until I was about 27 years old. And um, so what this looked like was I would start dating somebody and, you know, I appeared, before I would get into a relationship, I appeared very sort of large and in charge and I had a real big personality and I was always very uh, talkative and had a lot of opinions and that would attract people to me, you know, because I was, you know, even at that young age, it was fairly dynamic. But then I would get into a relationship and everything would change. I was scared they would leave. So I was always kind of jockeying for some guarantee that they weren't going to go anywhere. So I was always kind of trying to pin them down and trying to make them call me. And, you know, I was, I was just grasping for this this show of affection from them that proved that they weren't gonna go anywhere.
1: Yeah, I did the same thing. Um I would uh always be very talkative, friendly, outgoing, um, you know, as a teenager, and that would attract boys to me. Um and, and sometimes girls too. Um and you know I would be very, very or at least seem very self-confident in the beginning um and very self assured and mm-hmm. and you know like i i was in charge of things and you know i think maybe that was part of the attraction for them but then as soon as they showed an interest in being exclusive with me being in an exclusive relationship the clinger would come out and i would just latch on to them mm-hmm. and do anything i could think of to get some reassurance that they weren't going to leave That they weren't going to leave me or that they weren't going to reject me in some way.
0: Yeah, that was it. It was absolute fear of rejection um, and fear of abandonment. I mean, it's pretty much the same thing, I guess, in the end. Yeah. Um, And we were discussing how, you know, in a previous episode, we talked about our uh, protector that we call the Savior, who is always wanting to help people, and how the Savior works really hard in conjunction with the stage five Clinger. at least in our unhealthy relationships that we experienced. And Denise made a fabulous point earlier when we were discussing this. She said that the need to save someone, you know, your savior, gets you into these toxic, unhealthy relationships. But the stage five clinger keeps you in those relationships. So there's there's a part of you once the relationship reveals itself to be unhealthy. There's a part of your brain that says, I shouldn't be here. But that stage five clinger who was protecting that abandoned person inside uh, of me and inside of Denise, uh, she wouldn't let us leave, so to speak. You know, she was saying, no, you have to make this work. You have to get this guarantee that you're not going to be left alone. Um, So again, I just thought that was fascinating.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that was when we started doing this um, exploration of internal family systems therapy um, there were a lot of things that I became acutely aware of consciously for the first time in my life. And I was able to look back on my life and see how these things had played a role in relationships and in decisions, you know, major life-changing decisions that I had made throughout my life. Mm -hmm. And one of those revelations was how the savior protector would get me into relationships with people who were toxic, sometimes broken, broken people that I felt I needed to save, you know, that I needed to rescue. Same. Um, And then once I was in those relationships um, and they really started becoming even more toxic, I would logically think to myself, this is not a healthy relationship. I need to get myself out of this relationship. Um, you know, this is, this is not going to end well, you know, I have to get out. But at the same time, it was my stage five clinger protector who was coming in and saying, no, you, you can't, you can't let go of this relationship. You don't want to be left alone again. You don't want to be abandoned. Um, if, If you, on the one hand, I felt like I, if I was left by this person, or if I got out of the relationship, if I was the one who ended it, I felt like it was a condemnation of me that I was not a worthy human being. I was not worthy of love and loyalty
0: and affection. Yeah, and I went through the same thing. It felt to me like a failure. You know, every relationship that ended, I was telling Denise earlier, almost felt like part of my body was cut off with each one. Like I was less and less of a worthy woman of a relationship. And there was something very, very wrong with me that all these people would keep leaving. And so to me back then, the measure of success was if they don't leave, I've won. Yeah. And so we both ended up in relationships with um, very toxic men in our 20s. And you know, I told Denise, uh, he met the criteria, which was just don't leave. Yeah. He was awful. I mean, he was terrible to me, but he was the first one. He was my first long-term relationship. I was 22 because everybody else, broke up with me and with good reason, you know, I was <laughs> clingy Very and, clingy, you know, yeah. who wants that, you know, nobody. And they also, they didn't sign up for that. They signed up for the Cassie that they saw who was funny and interesting and a and, you know, and then they got this girl and they were like, who the hell is this? Yeah. You know, and the same thing happened to you, I imagine. Yeah.
1: And I can imagine when I look at it now from that point of view, where I can detach yes. myself Um, and look at that protector, um, you know, as a separate uh, being, then I can see, logically speaking, how the other person in the relationship with me probably felt blindsided, you know, because they, when they first met me, it's like you said, I was very outgoing, ebullient, effervescent. Yes. um, And they were attracted to that personality. And then, you know, and I seemed very self-assured, very in charge of my life. And then when we would get into the relationship, I would become very clingy because I was afraid they were going to leave me. And of course, to me, that would be not only an issue of feeling abandoned, but also feeling like, again, I wasn't worthy enough to make somebody want to stay with me. Yes. And so they probably felt very blindsided by that. But when you think about it, um, it was that clinginess, you know, our protector, the stage five clinger, was trying to protect us from feeling abandoned but she was doing it at a time in our lives when it wasn't appropriate and so yes she actually had the exact opposite effect <laughs> she drove those people away. Yes
0: absolutely because they they felt like well, they you're had not been s- tricked we're not supposed to find your life partner when you're 17 well that's true. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm sure it could happen for some
1: people but i definitely right, but, you know
0: but dating yeah, as it, a kid should be fun
1: it, it should, should be, be light
0: it should be you yeah. know i mean not to say you can't form a an, an intense emotional bond with somebody then but it shouldn't be your main priority at that age no you know um now I will say um, so again. I mentioned earlier that I the stage five clinger was very much part of all my relationships until until um, I was about twenty seven. Um, so when my when uh, my super toxic relationship broke up, um, I was twenty four, and between the ages of twenty four and twenty seven, I did date a few people and I spent a lot of time trying to undo some of my bad habits from the previous relationships but this clinger was still there i wouldn't let her really come out quite as much but she was definitely still uh in in the in the shadows and so what happened which was very interesting that finally broke this for me was um i started dating the guy who would eventually become my husband and we'd been dating about six months And it wasn't going well primarily because i knew i wanted to marry him he was the greatest thing i'd ever you know come across um and that really activated the cleaner and i thought oh my god i can't let this guy go he's awesome he's he's everything i've ever wanted and so she started to really come out and wanted to make sure that you know this guarantee was going to happen. And at the time I was 27 and he was 28. So, you know, it wasn't inappropriate to want to be engaged and and such. Well, about six months into the relationship, it wasn't going well and we agreed to take a break. Um, At the end of the the week break, um, I wanted to get back together and he didn't. And it really threw me into a tailspin. Um, And so what ended up happening was I stayed away, but in the course of that week, that we were apart for a week, um, I got to thinking about my behavior and what I was doing to contribute to this. And I realized that the stage five clinger was absolutely looking for a guarantee a solid, on paper almost guarantee that this person would not leave. And it dawned on me that nobody gets a guarantee, I don't care. If you have a two-carat diamond ring on your finger, I don't care if you've been married for 35 years, I don't care if you've been married for four years and you've got six kids, people can walk out of your life for no reason at all at any time. So there's really nothing you can do to guarantee that person's never gonna leave. And when I finally realized that, I was able to relax And I reapproached um, my boyfriend at the time who became my husband. And I essentially told him this and said, you know, I'm not going to put this pressure on you anymore. I want you to be a part of my life. I don't want you to be my whole life. And to prove that I mean business, I've actually gone out and I've, I've volunteered for some committees and I'm making an effort to not center my life around you. Because at the time I had moved here from another state, um, And so I only had maybe a couple of friends in the area. So he, you know, very much became my focus, which was not fair to him. And uh, long story short, it worked. Um, We moved in together like four or five months later. We got married um, about a year after that. And um, I was fine from that point on. So the minute the clinger, I I put her to rest, then I became attractive again. I became... I became Cassie. I was, I was again, dynamic and buoyant and without all that fear backing it.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that's one of the reasons we also discussed this earlier. Um, one of the reasons that it took both of us, um, so long to leave the toxic abusive relationships that we had been in before, um, is because that clinger was, you know, in, at the forefront of our minds, um, in, in full force, you know, full protective mode. Um, and so even though, you know, the, the savior protector sort of got us into those relationships to begin with trying to save, or, you know, trying to rescue this person that we saw as a broken person who needed to be saved. Um, it was the clinger who kept us in the relationship after long, after we realized that it was an unhealthy relationship. Um, and I think that that's probably um, one of the myriad reasons that people stay in abusive relationships. Um, and this is you know has often been a hot topic of, of discussion uh, in American society is is why do people stay in abusive mm-hmm. relationships? Mm-hmm. Um, you know and that that has always bothered me when people who have never actually experienced an abusive relationship, kind of, you know, dismissively say, mm-hmm. well, you've had opportunities to leave. She had opportunities to leave. Why did she choose to stay with her abuser? Why did why didn't she just leave? Um and it's because you you have so many protectors um from your subconscious mind that yeah. you developed, you know, as coping mechanisms throughout your childhood that are at play in a very complex dance with one another. Yes. And you don't even Realize that you're not consciously aware of those protectors being in play. And so, you know, there are many, many factors at play, but that's one of them. I think that's one of the reasons that many people stay in abusive relationships is because they have a protector like that stage five clinger who is making them stick with this person because they fear being abandoned. And they fear that if the relationship falls apart, um, even if they were the one who chose to end the relationship, that it would somehow mean that they were not worthy of love and not worthy of loyalty from another person. I think that's a, a major contributing factor.
0: Yeah, I think I think a lot goes into the mentality of someone who stays in an abusive relationship. And I, I can tell you that anybody who met me as a kid, and by kid, I mean teenager not nobody would have ever expected me to end up in an abusive relationship because I was opinionated. I was, you know, loud. I, you know, if someone made me mad, I told him, you know, but it all disappeared when I was in a relationship with a man, all of it. And, you know, we, we do, I think we do become different people vis-a-vis who we're with. Um, obviously there's code switching and such. So you've got You've got the you that behaves a certain way at a party. You've got the you that behaves a certain way at work. You know, you've got the you that behaves a certain way with your children. But I think it can actually take very extreme forms in a lot of people. And with me in relationships, it took an extreme form.
1: Yeah. And they did it with me as well. And I didn't really realize um, how those protectors um, that I had developed in childhood were, uh, you know, Interplaying with each other to not only get me into unhealthy relationships, but to also keep me in them. Yeah. Until I started going through this process of self-reflection and, and right. learning about the exiles and the protectors, and then it it sort of all became so much clearer to me. Right.
0: And you know, neither of us came from families where these things were managed, discussed,
1: oh, revealed. No. I
0: mean, everything was brushed under the rug.
1: Yes. You know, um,
0: it was. Yeah so we didn't learn any of these skills there you know we i think we both just got so sick and tired of ourselves <laughs> we really did, we really did. Like, you know there's only so much of me i can take before i gotta i gotta fix this i mean i gotta deal with this because you know again i don't want my coping mechanisms aka my protectors i don't want them sabotaging my own happiness you know i want to learn about myself want to deal with this i want to turn over every rock and figure out what the heck i'm doing you know
1: and that's really the gift of um, learning about your exiles and protectors um, is that it gives you the ability for self-reflection and to uh, gain self-awareness to a degree that you probably otherwise would not. Um, And it also allows you to be able to look at those exiles and protectors from an objective point of view, mm-hmm. and to feel compassion and empathy for them. And so you're a little less hard on yourself. Yeah. Uh, it makes you uh, a little more lovable to yourself. You know, you feel like a more lovable person in general.
0: Yeah. And it does allow you to forgive yourself and say, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. You know, and now, I feel like I know, and it's it's already in my life making a massive difference. Just in the you know couple of months we've been doing this.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's a a really you know rare and special gift, um, is to be able to forgive yourself for mistakes that you made when you just didn't know any better. Exactly, Um, and to and to say, okay, well now I do know better. I've learned about this. I'm going to grow from this. I'm going
0: to do better moving forward. Yeah, I'm not going to repeat. This cycle. Yes, I'm going to make conscious efforts to stop this cycle.
1: Yeah, right. and that—that's one of—I think one of the most important things that IFS therapy can offer the world is helping people and families break toxic cycles of behavior.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, and even if your family is not interested in hearing any of this, um, you know, you can do it for yourself, and you know, maybe they'll—they'll they'll learn by example.
1: Yeah, I you mean, know. it takes one person to be the catalyst, and then right you know, all all sorts of changes can flow from that.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I think it was a good discussion. Good talk. <laughs> I agree entirely. All right. If you hung in for the 23 minutes, thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. These are getting longer and longer. We're trying to keep them <laughs> around 20 minutes. If that's too much, you know, we get it. But anyway, thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.